Let's take a moment and just focus on the Lord. Uh, Why don't you just, uh, you can close your eyes if that helps. But let's just take a moment to kind of pause and breathe in hopes of interacting with God and in hopes of hearing from God through his word, okay? God, our creator, Yahweh, we come to you today in need of your help, in need of your guidance. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you said that you'd ask the Father to send another, God the Holy Spirit, our advocate, to guide us into truth. And so we ask you, God, guide us in truth as we turn to the word we ask that you would help us to understand what we read and that it would be a point where we learn, but it would also be a point where we interact with you personally. And you would help us to set aside anything that would distract us and that you would help us to hear from you, to truly interact with you this morning. We thank you for it, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, if you uh, would like a Bible, just raise your hand. Uh, someone will bring one to you. We've got extras. Uh, we are going to um, turn to Acts chapter 3. We're going to turn to Acts chapter 3. So last Sunday... Um, we were in Acts chapter 2, and today we're going to take on um, Acts chapter 3. We read almost all of Acts chapter 2, and in recent weeks we've kind of wrapped up uh, the story at the end of the Gospels where we see, in particular, Dr. Luke writing a very careful historical account of Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection, and then his time on earth when he was alive, resurrected, um, prior to then leaving, physically leaving earth, returning to the Father and sending the Holy Spirit. And then last Sunday as we read Acts chapter 2, we unpacked a little bit of the significance of that. And so we're just going to pick up the story here in Acts chapter 3. And bearing in mind that uh, when Dr. Luke wrote this account, he didn't put in the numbers of these chapters. It was a book that stood unto itself. And so uh, it's important for us to think about that. And at some point in your life, uh, whether you start with the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, that you try to read one of those in one sitting. Uh, most of the time it'll take you maybe 15, 20 minutes. But you try to read it in one sitting and, and try to get a full sense of the story. And then at some point what you should do is read one of those and then read the book of Acts right after it. It's a great weekend activity. Might be more beneficial than other things. Just saying. So picking up Acts chapter 3, we're going to start... In verse 1. So this is right after uh, 3,000 are saved and the church is growing and all the different activities that we described last week. Peter and John went to the temple, public place of worship, regular gathering, went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was a lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Peter saw this opportunity and addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? 
And why stare at us as though we made this man walk by our own power or godliness? For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. You rejected this holy, righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murderer. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this fact. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. Friends, I realize that what you and your leaders did to Jesus was done in ignorance. But God was fulfilling what all the prophets had foretold about the Messiah, that he must suffer these things. Now, repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord, and he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. So this is the second time that Jesus' friends, his followers, after having received power from the Holy Spirit, have come to a public place of worship, a worship of Yahweh God, and something supernatural has uh, has occurred. And the result of something supernaturally occurring is that Peter has stood and used the scriptures, what we have in the Old Testament, to point to Jesus as the Messiah. And to say that this supernatural thing that is occurring is on a foundation that Jesus is your Messiah. So even in the street Greek, they probably would have spoken the Hebrew, Yeshua, Yamashia, Jesus, the Messiah, the sent one. That term had weight. It had a, a, a chord in music is three notes and there is a root note. There is a, a bass note in a chord that anchors it, that tells you this is what's coming. That is this Hundreds of prophecies about God sending a gift was what Peter referred to, to unpack a sound theology, if you will, a teaching about God. Who is God? Where is God? What is God doing? That was the response to something supernatural happening. I think it's of note for us to see that Peter didn't just turn and like have an Oprah moment, a healing for you and for you and for you, right, in the temple and just like heal everybody. But no, he stopped, he saw the opportunity and said, this happened because Jesus, the one that you killed, right, recent events, right, just over a month prior, 45 days maybe prior, the one that you put to death, the one that Pilate absolved and gave you an opportunity to release, but instead you asked for the release of a murderer, right? That's the one who then rose from the dead. Why? Because that is a sign that he is the Messiah. Ladies and gentlemen, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Now, I want to talk a little bit today about the presence of God. But we don't talk about the presence of God without talking about Jesus. Are you thankful for that, right? Right? Because if we were talking about the presence of God without Jesus, we would be talking about what we will never have. Are you with me? See, I'm not, I'm not worried about hell as far as flames or physical pain. The reason I want to avoid hell is that I want to avoid being in a place for all eternity where I am separated from the one true living God, the only source of love, hope, peace, and joy. I want to be with him in his presence. And I want to, we see this is so, Peter's words, and if you, this is one of the lessons that I have found is greatly missing in the North American church today is a sound biblical teaching on the presence of God and awareness of the presence of God and the refreshing that comes from it. Do you know that it's okay for you to smile and laugh during worship? The point of us gathering, the point of when you get in your prayer closet, your war room, you're going to spend some time one-on-one with God. The point is an awareness of the presence of God. 
And Peter has specifically said here, times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. Yes, he does indeed say repent, right? Turn away, just like Jesus taught everywhere he went. Repent, stop moving in the direction of living for yourself, pleasing yourself, and turn instead and move in the direction of following God, loving God with all that you've got. He does say repent, but then he also gives us a result. A result of that through Jesus, the Messiah, is that times of refreshment will come. And some of the people that we don't see this morning that are normally with us are out for times of refreshment. (laughs) We believe in times of refreshment, right? Just breathe a little, just relax, everything's okay. When Peter refers to this at the presence of the Lord, times of refreshment, Peter would have been one of these men that had memorized Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The five books of the Bible, Jesus himself as a Jewish boy coming up in Hebrew school, just like Jewish boys are taught today, memorizing those first uh, five books of the Bible. I'm with you until we get to Leviticus, and it's like, really? (laughs) And in that, uh, Peter, who is quoting this story knew this exchange between Moses and God about the presence of God. He would have memorized this exchange and this condition and the moment that was even referenced in our pre-service prayer time about go ahead and go that direction, people, but I'm not going to go with you because if I go with you, I might kill you. God having a parent moment with his people. Peter would have been familiar with that story. He would have been familiar Exodus chapter 33, verses 14 and 16, where God said, then in Moses makes it a condition. I will not go if your presence does not go with me. And God says to them, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. The presence of God is designed for us to have a time of refreshment, a time of rest. If we come in right relationship with God, believing that Jesus is the Messiah, that through Jesus my sins can be forgiven, that that my resentment, my pain, my my hurts, hang-ups, my habits can be healed, I can have freedom from them and freedom to enjoy life on this earth with God, then I can breathe the presence of God. Myself as an individual, in small groups and life groups, and when we come together here in this place. That's how it's possible when we set aside, when we turn away from our sin. All right, what, what is sin? Sin is when we, in our hearts, in our minds, or in our actions or words, are out of order for the, with the relationship. Something in us is, is out of order, right? It's not consistent with a relationship that we believe that God is the creator, and as a creator, he has a right to say what he wants. And that if God is a creator, that I am created to worship him and in worshiping him, enjoy him. Enjoy his presence. So if I will let go of my sin, that kind of peace, that kind of refreshment is possible. Now, I want to frame this and give us a little bit of perspective today. So Peter knew that exchange. Some perspective. You'll see the scriptures on the board. I'm going to move through some of these relatively quickly. First of all, of course, we understand God is everywhere at all times, right? Whether I'm feeling it or not. Hello? Sorry, I just launched into theology land and left you back there thinking about a hot dog. Come on, somebody. Come Refreshment. God is everywhere at all times, right? Now, what we also see is that God can choose to reveal himself so that people can be aware of his presence. We notice by one biblical example we have here, Genesis 3.8, God came down into the garden and walked with Adam and Eve and had conversations with them on a regular basis. In the cool of the day, it refers to even a time of refreshment that Adam and Eve had walking with God. Walking and talking with God. And yet, they still did the one thing he asked them not to do. They still broke relationship, even though they knew that most intimate. God had not set out the Ten Commandments. God had not set out a list of rules. God came down in the cool of the day and walked with them and talked with them and listened to them. 
It was a set time and place, and I think that's something that we should notice. It was something where Adam and Eve carved out time in their day. They didn't leave his presence, but it was also something that they were aware of. They were aware of God's presence, and it was something that was of God's choosing. All we have to do is read the text and use a little bit of deductive reasoning. God made a choice when he would come down, be available to them for times of relationship. So God can choose to reveal himself. And do you know that God's the same yesterday, today, and forever? And so that means that God can do it today as well. Now, whether or not we will choose to be aware of it, that's a different story. But God can do it, and God does it in seasons. You notice that the way that God created seasons is that one season necessitates the next. Winter, with the freeze, will kill off certain pests, weeds, different things. It kind of knocks stuff back down to a healthy place. There's a certain amount of death that occurs that is healthy in winter. Um, A lot of different habitat would be completely different if not for winter, right? Then in the spring, new life explodes, right? That has to happen before the growth that can happen in summer and then in late summer into fall, the harvest, the harvest of the fruit. That has to be done before winter comes back. Are you with me? So each season necessitates the next. So one might say in reading human history in times where God has chosen to reveal himself, why does God leave? Well, God can choose to do whatever he wants, for starters. It's like if a gorilla walks into this room. One of our friends was at the Philly Zoo, saw the big silverback gorilla, posted a picture. That gorilla walks into this room. Where does he sit? Wherever he wants. Right? So why does God leave? Because he's God, he can choose to do whatever he wants. But also because it changes the atmosphere and it changes the dynamic of the relationship with us. If he was with us all the time, just like the scripture denotes that when Jesus was resurrected, he was walking around resurrected, everybody that saw him became a believer in him. We would not have free will. We would not have choice in the same way to respond to God the way that God originally designed for us to get with the freedom that God gave us if Jesus was still resurrected walking around the earth. God makes a choice for our benefit. Was that too much for July 4th weekend? Okay, so God makes a choice. Third, Jesus spoke of a result of believers gathering focused on God. Anyone remember this one, right? Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. That was... Not just God choosing to show up, it was described as the result and awareness of the presence of God that was the result of them coming together. This is something that's important for us to notice. Now, if we read the book of Acts and we read the historical accounts of what occurred, you would have to also say that they saw the presence of the living God in ways that were subjective in ways that were objective. Okay? Subjective meaning there was a personal feeling. There was a personal awareness. There was a whoa. Objective meaning a miracle occurred, uh, the sound of a rushing wind, like flames of fire. We read yesterday, or last Sunday, right? Right? Something objective occurred. A lame man walked. Something objective occurred where nobody could deny that happened and that was the result of the presence of the living God. So there was, God was revealed in subjective ways and in objective ways. And I, I think it's important for us that in our worship of God, we are aware of this. This is how God works still to this day and that we don't discredit when somebody says that they feel it. Now the problem is when we get into a worship disorder and we worship the experience and then we get weird and spooky and we're no longer of any good. And that's why 1 Corinthians is what it is because it gives us a filter and a motivation and a way to discern if a spooky spiritualness has gone haywire. Are we worshiping the experience or are we worshiping the creator? Very important question. 
That's one reason why even though we have charismatic theology as a church, we are not crazy Pentecostal in our practice, right? Because we believe the Bible lays out a pretty clear specifics about how our worship gathering should be and what we're doing. We're worshiping God. And if my reason for coming to church is just because I want to feel better, then I'm worshiping the wrong thing. I'm not here to seek the gift. I'm here to seek the giver. Come on, somebody. Right? That's the, we, we need some maturity. We need some, and help in our relationship with God. But what we would say is that it's okay for us to seek a presence of the living God that is recognized in subjective ways and objective ways. Are you with me? Right? Now, we see, especially in the Old Testament, this awareness of the presence of God in a Hebrew word that's used 76 times that denotes God's face turned in favor toward them. That the people became subjectively aware and the description of the people that were there was there was a subjective awareness that God's favor had turned, his face had turned towards them in favor. Now my children know when my face turns towards them in favor or not in favor. (laughs) My father... My father was and is a man of few words. He, he's a teacher, a public speaker, but outside of that role, he doesn't say much. And all he had to do was give me a look. That was it. My dad rarely had to, once, you know, I started to get in a line, right, say anything to correct me. All it took was a look, Right? Their description in the Old Testament of an awareness of a presence of God was we suddenly became aware that God had turned his face towards us in favor. That's a, that should be a powerful revelation. Think about this. See what King David, we referenced a little bit earlier, in his song that he wrote in Repenting of His Sin in Psalm 51, created me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, O God. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. That's David. What The thing that David is asking for most is not, God, don't punish me the way that I deserve. But God, don't take an awareness of your presence away from me. And I think that in this room we have some people that are dry that are hungry, that are spiritually thirsty, that have not for a while been aware of the presence of God. And so I think that this teaching is important because it can bring us today some helpful information about our role and what we can do in interacting with this. Because God loves you. God doesn't want you to be dry. God doesn't want you to be without His presence. We have Psalm 51 because God rewards. God forgives. God is quick to turn in favor to the heart that is hungry for Him. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from Your presence, O Lord. Take not Your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. This is Psalm 51. So I think today, as we turn to God, we, we, we must realize this is something that's available to everybody, and we should ask ourselves a couple of questions. Am I in right relationship with God? Because that's relevant to if you're going to be aware of His presence. Am I in right relationship with God? Do I recognize God the Father as the potter who can mold the clay? Am I, God, whatever you want to do in my life, however you want to shape me, any area you want to touch, anything that you want to change, remove any defect, Lord, I am all yours, whatever you want to do. Am I in right relationship with God? Am I more aware of God than anything else. Now, sometimes I have the great pleasure 
of standing before you on a Sunday morning and watching you as you enter. And that gives me an opportunity to see all y'all's faces. And that's not everything. God looks at the heart. But our face often does reflect if we're thinking about God when we come in. Now, the reason that I invite you to gather, the reason why this space is available to you, 9.30 every Sunday, is so that you can come in and wrestle with your flesh and get yourself to a point where you're more focused on God than anything else. Jesus said to us, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. First. He used the word first as first in order, first in rank, first in priority, first in value. That's what the word he used means. And we need to ask ourselves, am I in right relationship with God? And am I more aware of, more focused on God, the personal God, than anything else? It's an important question. And what we do and how we do church and how we've patterned it after what we see in Acts 2 is to try to give you the best shot at that that you can. Because your individual relationship with God, I have tremendous respect for. And I never want to communicate anything that would cause you to relate to God in exactly the way that I do or in a way that I think that you should. But instead to respect that between you and God, there is a holy relationship that needs to be encouraged and not messed with. But beyond that, we gather in small groups and homes because we see that's what they did, the people that heard Jesus' teachings themselves and the ones that that responded and obeyed him, and that when they came together, they experienced the presence of God in their homes. And that whether we're reading the word or we're singing songs or we're praying for each other, it's about a personal experience, not a ritual. It's about a relational encounter that happens that is indeed based on truth and that engages learning, that engages all of us our mind, our decision-making, our emotions, our spirit. It is a fully engaged participatory process where we are in having a experience with the personal Savior. And that when we gather in small groups, it helps us relax in different ways that we struggle to do so when we gather in a large group. And so gathering in small groups is very, very important. I love the fact that when we take a break from our small group for our family vacation, people complain. And they do. Now, when we gather here on a Sunday morning, starting with worship at 930, this space is available for you to have a relationship with God. And I get in here at 7 and I pray a spiritual cleansing prayer over this building because it needs it. And we want to create an atmosphere welcoming the presence of God in this place, even though God is already everywhere all the time. Because what I believe is the words of Jesus. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. The disciples saw healing miracles occur when they shared the communion table because they believed that when they shared the communion table, Jesus was literally walking among them even though they couldn't see him. That he was literally there and spontaneously, without a personality, without a shandai, I'm going to put my hand on your forehead. But in spontaneous miracles occurred because they believed that he was there among them. I am challenging you today, do you believe that? I love you, but I venture to say, based on your physical behavior, not all the time. Not all the time. Because if you really believe that, your spiritual hunger and thirst would get you up out of your space of comfort and in here on the floor. I'm not trying to manipulate your behavior. I'm trying to help you become more aware of the presence of the living God. He's in your home too. He's in your car too. He's out on the street too. I have been just as if now more aware of the presence of God outdoors than in the church. I'm not saying it's only in the church, but Jesus did teach that it is in the church. And that's why we believe the church is not an event you attend. It's who you are when you come together in a specific way. Somebody should be saying amen. So Jesus is sitting with the woman at the well. He's dealing with sexual identity. He's dealing with racial violence and undertones what does he do? This woman, if you knew who you were speaking to, that's what he said. Woman, if John 4, 
Woman, if you knew who you were speaking to, you would not ask me to give you a drink. You would ask me to give you of living water so that you would not thirst anymore. And from there, she turns it around to religion and where we worship. We worship in the temple in Jerusalem. And then what is Jesus' response? There will come a day when people will worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus' revelation of how we worship comes in answer to those who are spiritually thirsty. The fact of the matter is, is that you will become more aware of the presence of God. You will become more satisfied of the presence of God if when you don't feel a doggone thing, you will worship with all you've got like your life depended on it. If you only worship, and I mean out loud, no matter if you know the note or not, if you only worship when you feel like it, you are cheating yourself on a full encounter with the presence of God. If you live by your feelings, you are living under a tyrant and you will never be happy. I love you. I'm saying this hurtful thing because I love you. If you only live by your feelings, you are living under a tyrant and you will never be happy. God revealed to Jeremiah, of human desire, there is no end. There is a value to living by principle, to making a decision. Hey, I didn't create this world, and guess what? Neither did Charles Darwin. There was somebody who said, let there be light. And that person deserves to be worshipped with all I've got. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. Pour out our praise. If it was up to me and my flesh and my cravings and my desires and what I prefer, you would never see me here. Never. But because it's not about me and my feelings and what my flesh desires, but instead about a spiritual encounter with the living God, that's why I worship with all I've got. And that's why following the Psalms and the instructions of the scripture, I call you to do the same. Because it is for your benefit. It will benefit you. It will change how you feel. We may choose to focus on God for a set period of time at least. Removing distractions one at a time. Maybe it needs to be a mental process for you. You need to write them down. I'm, you come in here in the worship service, you need to sit down and write stuff down to get it off your brain. Do it. There, there could be a mental exercise to remove the distractions so that you can focus on God. A mental process, a physical decision. One of the reasons why we offer children's ministry, particularly for the infants and the toddlers, all the way through the service, is so that you can have a focus on God. I... I I would say that the scriptures would tell us that being a parent is not your number one responsibility. Now that baby depends on you 24 hours a day, absolutely. But your relationship with God comes before your relationship with that child. It does. And that's why as a family, we rotate, we schedule a rotation so that your child can receive care by people who've been background checked in a safe environment and fully cared for and have all their needs cared for so that you can have a time and a space where you can focus on the living God. Because there is a benefit to you having a time and space for you to have a time of refreshment. And people chafe at me for trying to provide a time of refreshment. That's what it's supposed to be, a time of refreshment for you. But you've got to exercise mental discipline, make decisions with physical environment, and you're, by yourself you've got to turn off everything with a screen. Right? Texting while watching a movie is not a date. Now it might be being in the same place physically... There was a lawsuit. This guy's suing a a woman for the price of the theater tickets because she was texting so much during the movie. It's another one like, she pulled herself inside her sweater for 45 minutes of the movie. Like, listen, that's not relationship. Now, it might be, hey, we need a, we need a, we need a break and we just need to not talk for a while. And so there, there can be value to it. There can be value to it. 
But it's not communion, it's not relationship. It's not, it's not equal to relationship. At some point in the relationship, there needs to be some engagement. There needs to be some, some interaction. You understand what I'm saying? It's the same thing in our relationship with God. So we make decisions about our physical environment. Now there does also need to come a place of emotional healing. Needs to be some emotional healing. The fact of the matter is, is that when you're really hurt, it's really hard to be aware of the presence of God when you're in the presence of God. There's a reason why in C.S. Lewis's novels, The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, in the last one, there's this certain group of people that are huddled together in one corner that are not aware that the war is over and that the sunlight is back. You can be in the presence of God and not aware of the presence of God. And sometimes it's because you've got hurts that need to be healed. You've got resentment that you're still holding on to that until you let go of, you're not going to be aware of the presence of God fully. That's why we do Celebrate Recovery. Wednesday nights, Hamden Family Center, 7 o'clock, come together. Find healing and freedom from life's hurts, hang-ups, and habits. Sometimes we need healing. And Jesus even instructed people, if you, if you are at, if you're there at the place of worship and you realize that you, your brother has something against you, leave your place of worship, leave your offering, go make amends, and then come back. Sometimes we can't worship because there's, there's stuff. We got junk. And it needs to be taken care of. We need to make amends. We need to have personal forgiveness. I just believe that there is a benefit to us responding to Jesus' words when he was asked, what is the most important thing in all of the scripture? And in Matthew 22, he says, love God with all you've got. And this is an invitation for you to love God with all you've got. Allow me, if I may, just to read you a few quotes about enjoying the presence of God, okay? Brother Lawrence read a few uh, from him, from practicing the presence of God and others. To practice the presence of God is to live in the conscious awareness of our Father, engaging in quiet, joyful, and continuous conversation with Him. It means we live an inner life of unceasing prayer, and we strive for all we think, say, and do to be a reflection of what is pleasing to God. Brother Lawrence, I make it my priority to persevere in his holy presence, wherein I maintain a simple attention and a fond regard for God, which I may call an actual presence of God. Or to put it another way, it is a habitual, silent, and private conversation with the soul of God. A.W. Tozer wrote this, It is not mere words that nourish the soul, but God himself. And unless and until... The hearers find God in personal experience. They are not the better for having heard the truth. Here's an, un, a quote that's uh, the source is unknown. Prayer is simple. It's like quietly opening a door and slipping into the very presence of God. There, in the stillness, to listen to his voice, perhaps in petition or only to listen, it matters not, just to be there in his presence is prayer. Augustine wrote this, Thou hast formed us for thyself, and our hearts are restless till they find rest in thee. A.W. Tozer again, The Holy Spirit speaks to thirsty hearts whose longings have been wakened by the touch of God within them. Brother Lawrence again, what most powerful expression of practicing God's presence is the silent, thank you, Father. These three words are the very essence of the holy habit. This phrase is the secret to living on earth and in heaven in continual conversation with God. It can start us and keep us moving forward on the path of practicing God's presence, no matter what. The silent, thank you, Father, is voiced from the heart. We repeat it inwardly at all times and in all circumstances, no matter what. In this way, the silent, thank you, Father, brings us into a constant awareness and communion with God. So let's talk briefly from biblical context. What happens when we're in the presence of God? Here's just a few, just a few things. Covenant and blessing. Relationship with God, as we see revealed in the scripture, includes covenant, which is a lifelong commitment. A commitment to each other. A personal relationship 
within the context of commitment. I make a commitment to you. And what we see is blessing. This is the foundation out of which Jesus says, blessed, happy, blessed are those who, right? There's covenant relationship. There's blessing. There's also intercession. Intercession is when one makes petition for, prays for, on behalf of another. In in this story that we read in Acts chapter 3, when Peter says, in the name of Jesus Christ, what he's actually saying is, on behalf of Jesus, I invite you to stand. On behalf of Jesus. That's the, a literal translation of that. Intercession is when we there's a communication with God on behalf of another. This is a beautiful sign that relationship with God is inclusive. It's not exclusive. It's the most inclusive worship in all of human history when it's done right. Because any believer, any follower, any any person who is drawing closer to God is constantly then in turn praying to God for others. For the benefit of others. That's a blessing, a benefit, if you will, of intercession within the presence of God. What we also see in the presence of God is a merciful communion and relationship. It's God not punishing us the way that we do deserve. God giving us his good love that we do not deserve. There's a merciful communion and and intimacy. There doesn't always need to be words. That's why we're talking about breathing space where you can just... Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. You can any moment, anywhere, take joy in who God is. Any moment, anywhere, God can be enough for you. More than enough. Any moment, anywhere, you can shut out the thoughts and the concerns about everything else in this life and focus on who God is as evidenced by what He has done and have a moment of pause, a moment of silence where you can reflect on this goodness. S.B. Shaw wrote this, True prayer is the language of an earnest soul breathing after God and a knowledge of His will. The praying spirit is a search for the presence of God and a continued craving for a conscious blessing from Him. There can be merciful communion and relationship. Brother Lawrence also wrote this, When we are faithful to keep ourselves in His holy presence and set Him always before us, this not only hinders our offending Him and doing anything that may displease Him, at least fitfully, but it also begets in us a holy freedom. And if I may so speak, a familiarity with God, wherewith we ask, and that successfully, the graces we stand in need of. Brother Lawrence is talking about the fact that if I will enjoy God, focus on Him, enjoy Him, think about Him, love Him, say thank you, it makes it far less likely that we will do anything that will offend Him. And much more likely that we can enjoy peace and joy and a freedom. And to understand the kind of freedom the Father God wants us to have, which is the same freedom He offered to Adam and Eve in the garden, where His only request was that they exercise self-control. That's what our God desires. A walk in the garden with us. Now, what are the results of this? People who experienced the presence of God in this way exhibited positive personal change. As with the other points, I have on the screen some scriptures that reference this. Here's what I will tell you. You can tell when someone's been in the presence of God. You can tell. Whether they're having a good day or a bad day. You can tell when someone's been in the presence of God. Whether it's an ordinary, boring day, the worst day of their life, the best day of their life. You can tell. There's personal change. There's a reason that Moses' face was literally changing. It was reflecting the glory of God. They observed, they looked at his face and said, 
You're different. You're not the same you that went up that mountain. What happened? There is personal, positive change. You don't have to watch that next Netflix episode. You don't have to respond to every text, mine included. You just don't. You do need time with God. Your spirit craves it. You're created for it. When you're not giving your spirit that that presence, that time of rest, breathe. Don't read the whole book of the Bible. Focus on the one word and what it means and what it speaks of God's goodness and breathe that in. People should have a look at you and say, what are you smoking? Like there is a difference. He said, one of the things that I do like about surfing culture, the people that, when you're constantly in the ocean, you're constantly aware that you are a small thing in this world. I don't know. Some people say, why would you do that? The ocean's just always trying to throw you out of it. Listen, when you're in the waves, I love being in the waves. I love it. If time, money, energy was no object, I would do it every day. I would start every day with surfing. I would. I love it. Because it makes me aware. My problems are small. Because the God who created this is alive and available to me today. That's where we get that, whoa. Right? We could use some more of that, whoa. Right? Is this like, yeah. Because every little thing is going to be, right? But Jesus said, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. Our God in heaven, right? There is a time of refreshing that is available to you. All that costs you is a little bit of self-control. So, a few questions in closing. Are we ready to receive Jesus? Because this doesn't work if you're not a believer in Jesus. If Jesus the Messiah, you notice that from our story, the times of refreshing come based upon a confession that Jesus is the Messiah. Are you ready to receive Jesus as your Savior? What do you need to let go of to make it possible for you to enjoy the presence of God. Maybe it's sleep. Oh, there he goes, cussing in church again. Maybe it's sleep. What do you need to let go of? Maybe you're standing there in the worship service and it's time to let go of that hurt that you're holding on to. That person hurt me, they must be punished. There's a reason that when infants are born in this life, they're born with a clenched fist. And when we die, we die with an open hand. Life is the process of letting go. If you're holding on to certain things, you cannot, you will not enjoy the presence of God in these times of refreshing. So what is it that you need to let go of to be able to enjoy? Maybe it's you think you're better than somebody else. Maybe it's think... You think you can do it better than somebody else. And maybe you can. But maybe that thought is something you need to let go of so that you can focus on God. Maybe you're just full of yourself. Maybe. It's about Jesus. And if, if I'm thinking about my world, none of that's more important than God. And it's all going to go away. It's all temporary. This building will no longer be here. Your house, your car, your clothes. It's all going away. What do you need to let go of to enjoy the presence of God? What decisions can you make to help you become more aware of God's presence? And I said earlier, I was saying that stuff you didn't like about Sunday mornings and small groups. But it's just to help you. What decisions can you make to help you become more aware of God's presence? Going to bed earlier, waking up earlier, 
So when your mind is clean and clear, you can focus on the presence of God each morning? What decisions can you make to help you become more aware of God's presence? Last one, what can you do this week to help others come into His presence in the times of refreshing? There are invite cards here today. You can invite somebody back here next Sunday. You can invite somebody into your home. If you're in my small group and after the 4th we take a break, guess what? You've got that Thursday night available. You can invite somebody in your home. Will you stand with me? Let's close in prayer. Here's what I know. God loves you. God loves you with an everlasting, eternal love that's not like the love of humans. God loves you with an eternal love. Any moment of any day, His love is available to you. You can close your eyes. You can breathe deep, knowing that it's His breath in your lungs. That it is God who has provided for you. It is God who has made a way through Jesus Christ, your Savior, for you to smile and say, thank you, Father. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would help us to come to you. Lord, to let go of the things we need to let go of so that we can enjoy your presence. God, I ask that you that you would help us to choose to follow you to seek, Lord, to to confess where we've been wrong, to ask for your forgiveness, to confess our faith that Jesus is our Messiah, to day by day, every day, to have a focus that, God, you've made a way for us through Jesus, our Messiah. Lord, and that we would carve out enough time, push out distractions, and just focus on you and breathe. To think about what we have learned about who you are, of how you're available, of what you have done so that we can relate to you through grace. Let us not put before ourselves barriers that you haven't put there. Help us, Lord, to come into your presence, to find in your presence times of refreshing. I thank you for that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you're here today and you'd like prayer for any reason, please don't leave. Please.